Okay, we're in lesson 16 today. We're going to wrap up now what maybe you have thought has been a very long section on the whole issue of freedom. And Paul's going to talk about the limits we have on freedom, because he's going to deal with some thinking that the Corinthians have, and he's going to get back to the issue of meat, eating meat offered to idols. But before we start the lesson, I need to lay some foundational thoughts in your mind before we move on and see exactly what he's saying here. The underlying issue that's going on here with the Corinthians is a misunderstanding of forgiveness. So, I'll give you an example. When Jesus died on the cross, and on the third day he arose again, what did that accomplish in the life of a believer? Anybody? What did that accomplish? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. All right, it took away all the sacrifices that had to be made for sin. And, Mike, I would go one step further. That was just for the Jew. For the rest of us as Gentiles, could we make sacrifices for sin? Well, we had no opportunity to make sacrifices for sin. So it, it dealt with appeasing God's wrath as far as sin. So with that, we have what because of, because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection? What do we have? Okay, eternal life. He says, Tom says hope. What else? What specifically? What about your sin? Okay, freedom. Okay. Forgiveness. Okay. Now, forgiveness for which sins? Okay, what does all mean? Just the past ones? Okay, present, past, and future. Okay. Now, here's what I want you to see. What was going on with the Corinthians is is they understood this. They understood that through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, we have forgiveness of sins, but they had a misunderstanding about that forgiveness because here's what they did. And here's what we tend to do. Our tendency is to think that because of forgiveness, I can do anything. If I mess up, it's okay, because who's going to forgive me? Jesus. Now, and this is what's going on here. So because of this line of thinking, they felt that they could do anything. In fact, they had developed some slogans. You, you understand what slogans are. If you've been in a group or anything, you know, like I remember being in the Boy Scouts, and, you know, we'd be in a certain a certain group, and we'd have our chant. It's like a chant. They had a chant that was a rah-rah thing for them to, to rally around. So like even during the campaign, all the, the presidential camp candidates had their, what, slogan that they rallied around. And so the Corinthians had a slogan. Actually, they had two slogans. And Paul's going to deal with both of them today, and they both come out of a misunderstanding of forgiveness. Now, when you have a misunderstanding of forgiveness and a misunderstanding of sin, there's ultimately, one step further from the misunderstanding of forgiveness is a misunderstanding of sin in general, and whether or not you should sin or can sin, they're, they're, you're going to find that what's going on here is they felt that they could do anything and still be okay with God. But there was a danger there. So let's look at what Paul's saying here. We're in the 10th chapter. We're going to look at verse 23, and we're going to go all the way up to verse 1. And we're going to finish this off, because next week we're going to enter into a new subject. So let's look at verse 23. Here's the first slogan. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. So, 
the first slogan they had was is this. The Corinthians felt they had the freedom to do anything. They had the freedom to do anything. We are beginning to struggle with this slogan in our churches today. And here's why. We talked about this last week. I think if you remember, Mike said, you know, when we talked, I asked about holiness. He said he remembered back holiness was a, was a legalism. You know, remember I said, how many of you can remember back when we used the term holiness? And he referred to it about a lot of legalism. And what has happened is because of the legalism, we've swung to the exact polar opposite of everything. Because here's how we operate as, as human beings. You ever notice that we operate, it's like a pendulum that swings from one extreme to another. When we have one extreme, we react. So rather than find the balance, we swing all the way over to the other side and say, well, we're just not going to do that anymore. So we have the extreme of having every area of our life regulated by the church. Don't do this. Can't do that. Wear this. Don't wear that. Dress like this. Don't dress like that. Carry this. Carry that. Don't go here. Don't go there. And so what we've done now is we said, man, that's just bondage. That's legalism. So rather than finding the balance, what have we done? We've swung all the way over to here, and we've said now, in the churches today, I can do anything I want to do, because I'm forgiven. I'm free. Now, here's the problem. See, that was exactly what the Corinthians were saying. I can do anything. I have freedom. What Paul's wanting us to do is, listen, you've got to understand something. So you're saying, the natural reaction is, well, does Paul want me to be legalistic and come over here and have every area regulated? No. He wants us to have the balance. And so he's going to give us what the balance is today. And there is a balance. And we've already talked about it several times already over the last few weeks. There's a balance to how we live our life. And the balance is other people. The, the balance is other people. Living my life with other people in mind. Because he doesn't want us to be over here because that's where the Judaizers were. And he doesn't want us to be over here with the libertarians where you can just do anything and end up sinning against people and sinning against God. He wants us to have a balance. So here's their slogan. They thought they could do anything. The next thing I want you to see is Paul points out that not everything is beneficial. Not everything is beneficial. I think the key word that we're missing in our society today is moderation. And I think if we look at all of our lives, you know, like for instance, I'll, I'll, I'll be vulnerable. You know, I love cheeseburgers. But George, come on. Moderation. You know what I mean? Moderation. You have to have moderation in your life because is there anything inherently wrong with going to McDonald's? No. Not all the time. But if I lived there, I'd be like that guy that they did that documentary on where his liver, his, everything was failing on him because that's where he ate. Here's, here's my point. Here's what I'm trying to say to you. Not everything is beneficial. Just because you've got the freedom to do it, not everything is beneficial that you do it. It's not beneficial. Listen, so let me give you an example. You've got the freedom to go to movies. Years ago we said, don't go to movies. Remember that? Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting now the church, the churches are interesting because the movies that we said don't go to years ago, we say now are family movies that we should be watching. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? Now, here's what, here's what I'm trying to say to you. You've got freedom to go to movies, but is it possible that that freedom may not be beneficial to you? Because you, 
you understand, it may be, you may be watching something that is detrimental to you. Because, listen, I'm going to be honest with you, your brain is, is uh, a supercomputer. Images remain there forever, whether you realize it or not. And what you filter into your mind will come out of your life somewhere else. Why do you think Paul says later in Philippians, think on these things? Why do you think he says to the Romans, renew your mind? How do you renew your mind? With the Word of God. And that being a part of the transformation process. Not the conformity to the world. is the renewal of the mind. So, you've got freedom. You've got freedom to watch your TV. You've got freedom to do this. You've got freedom to do that. But not everything we do is beneficial to us. Not everything we do is beneficial. Here, here's, what, here's what else he says. Paul points out that our freedom is limited by a love for others. Paul points out that our freedom is limited by a love for others. Now, this is a concept that is totally contrary to our culture. I'll give you an, I'll give you an example. Let's take the, uh, the sexual revolution for a moment. Right now, if you watch television, if you read, if you read contemporary magazines, or if you read uh, even the news or whatever, here's what you're going to see that is communicated within, with regards to the sexual revolution. That it's okay for you to have an affair. It's okay. It's okay for you to engage in relationships, sexual relationships, without any concern to your family or your spouse or whatever. It's okay because everybody's doing it. You might as well do it. It's okay. And you know what? It's your life. Just enjoy it. Now, what's missing from that line of thinking? Anybody? Consequences for the individual who's involved with it. That's good, Janice. But what else is missing? God's Word. That, that's good. But there's something else that's missing. That's it right there. Hear what Mike said? You're going to hurt everybody else that's involved. You're going to hurt not just yourself. You're going to hurt the family. And you're going to hurt the person you're doing it with. I've seen it. You won't believe how many times I've talked to people. He's dating her. His wife's at home with the kids. Her loves him. And she's okay. And then you try to talk to her and say, this guy's a schmuck. The very same guy that's dumping her will dump you later when he gets tired of you. And you try to tell that to people, they don't see it because all they see is what? Warm, fuzzy feelings and love. They don't see the, how it is, how the actions of that individual are hurting everybody else. You understand? We, you know, we, we, we think it, in our culture today, it says, well, that's okay. If he wants to do that, leave the kids, that's fine. Wonderful. But it's not wonderful. In fact, we're just, we're just nailing another nail in the coffin of our society is what we're doing every time we allow that kind of thinking to go on. Because freedom has to be limited by a concern for, a love for other people. So, you know what, I have freedom to do this, but I don't do it. I don't do it. Because of how it might affect other people. Now, we've talked about that before, so let's, let's go on. Look with me now. He's going to get back to the issue of meat and... From this, we're going to gain some principles and talk about this whole issue of freedom. Look with me, verse 25. Look at what he says there. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no question for conscience sake. 
For the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. If any of those who do not believe invites you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no questions for conscience sake. But if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you and for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. Conscience, I say, not your own, but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? So here's some instructions. First of all, concerning going buying meat. Paul tells them that it's okay to buy meat in the market. See, because here, some of them were, were frantic now because you, when you went to the market, you didn't know where the meat came from. It could have been offered at the local temple. And so some people were saying, well, don't buy any meat at all because you don't know where it came from. Paul says, don't live under that bondage. You have freedom. There is freedom. So just go and buy your meat at the market and don't ask any questions about it. You do that anyhow. When you go to the market, you're not asking questions, well, how was that cow? What condition was it in? You're just taking it for granted that everything's okay there. And that's what he's trying to say to them. Quit asking questions. Quit asking questions. Just, it's okay to buy meat in the market. It's fine. Alright? Paul tells them not to bother asking where it came from. Not to bother asking where it came from. Because that's just going to create more problems. He said it's okay to eat the meat. It's, you know, because again, he's trying to tell them, remember now guys, an idol is nothing. You know, it represents a demon to those who worship it. But it really is nothing. To you, it's nothing. So don't worry about it. Don't ask any questions. Don't ask where it came from. Alright? Then he goes on. All food is a blessing from God. Now let me just stop for a moment. This is a good point to make a good point. Every once in a while, you'll see some crazy fad come out, Christian diet fad. How many of you have lived through a lot of the diet fads that you've seen? And they, they talk about finding a secret recipe, secret formula in the Old Testament or whatever for how you should be eating and living. Now here's what Paul says. What does Paul say there? Look exactly what Paul says. He says, verse 26, For the earth is the Lord and all its fullness. What's he talking about? He's talking about the food. It's okay to eat that food. It's okay. So if some guy comes up to you and says, Tom, no more venison. Yeah, you guys are laughing. You know what I'm saying? You can say, the earth is full. You know, it's all from God. He gave it to me to enjoy you know, if somebody came to you and said, the only thing you should be eating is, is spinach and carrots. Yeah, I know. That's terrible, isn't it? And, and you know, here, here's my thing. You can say to the guy, God said it was okay to eat anything. And there are actually other passages that could tell you that. But the point is, is he's trying to make here these guys, says, don't ask questions about the meat. The meat came from, ultimately came from God. It's a blessing. Enjoy it. Now, here's what he says about being in a home. He says, now here's what happens if you get invited over to someone's house. Now, we're going to glean some principles here for, for a minute. You get invited over to somebody's home, and they set down a, a, a big T-bone steak in front of you. Paul told them that they could eat in an unbeliever's home. Now, a Jew couldn't do this. You understand, a Jew was restricted from entering into a Gentile home. Remember when uh, Peter went to see Cornelius? about He mentioned that it was 
unlawful for him to enter into that home. He says, you couldn't do that because there were things that were considered unclean there. This is what Paul's trying to tell to them, that this is not an issue of cleanliness with God here. So it was okay for them to go to an unbeliever's home and eat there. All right? It's okay to go to an unbeliever's home and eat there. And when they set food in front of you, again, Paul tells them not to bother asking where it came from. Now, why is he doing this? Because the chances are, if you're going to go to an unbeliever, let's say Bruce is an unbeliever, we're in Corinth, and he and Debbie invite Lori and I over to eat, and I graciously accept the gift. Now, I know that he, he worships all the time at the temple of Aphrodite, and he just what happens every time he goes to the temple, he comes back with a package of, of fresh meat that day. Chances are, where did that meat come from? From the temple. All right. Well, I don't know that. I don't know that for sure because he could have bought it at another market on the way home. I don't know exactly where he got it. So Paul's saying, look, rather than you causing a problem, don't ask about where the meat came from. Here's the reason why you don't ask. Because you might be saying, well, why don't ask? Because it's going to launch into a discussion about that meat. Now, what's the discussion concerning the meat? It's going to cause... Him to talk about how it's sacred meat because it had been offered to who? Aphrodite. And what's that going to do for you, the Christian? See, he's saying it's going to open a Pandora's box now. But you don't want to go there. Okay? So you just need to leave it alone. Paul's saying just for practical life, don't even just, if they set a T-bone in front of you, put the hinds on it and enjoy it. You know? Or the A1 or whatever your steak sauce is. Just enjoy it. Don't ask any questions. That's not your purpose, is to get into that with them. Okay, so here's what he goes on. He says, do not eat if the source is revealed to be from a temple. But let's say they do. Let's say I go there and Bruce says, this was from the temple of Aphrodite. Enjoy. Now, here's the problem with that. What that guy is saying when he says that is, is he's saying that the source of that meat is who? Aphrodite. See, now there's a problem for the Christian, because the Christian realizes what? The source of the meat is who? God. See, do you understand what I'm saying? So, so at that point, you decide not to eat is what he's saying. You don't eat it. And maybe even it gives you the opportunity then to say to them, you know, look, I can't eat it. Now, here's the reason why you can't eat it. You say... Wasn't it for me? No, it's not for you. They were not to eat for the sake of others. In fact, I want you to look at what the passage says itself. Look with me at verse 28. But if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you. So I'm not going to eat that meat if Bruce invites me over and says this was from the temple of Aphrodite. I'm not going to eat that meat for Bruce's sake. Now you're probably wondering... Well, isn't it for my sake? Because, no, no, he's trying to remember. He told you what is an idol. An idol, earlier he said, is nothing. But to Bruce, that idol is what? Everything. So for Bruce's sake, I don't eat it, because if I eat it, it gives Bruce a false impression about who? God. Yahweh. You say, what do you mean? So let me explain something to you. In a, in a town like Corinth, Bruce is a devotee to Aphrodite. Tom over here is a devotee to Zeus. 
when you went into a, a town, you'd have more than just one temple. You'd have, you know, you have a temple of Aphrodite over here, and that may be the major temple, but there might be other little temples, and there's a temple over here to Zeus, and people go and make offerings there. And so if I were to go over to Tom's house, you know, and if I was Bruce going over to Tom's house, and he says, this came from the temple of Zeus, he wouldn't have a problem with it. Because they were polytheistic, you understand? They were believed in many gods. And so it fit into his framework. Oh, well, I'm eating from, from this God. When we talk about Christianity, Christianity is monotheistic. We believe in only what? One God. So the reason why I would not eat from Bruce, listen to me, follow what I'm saying. The reason why I would not eat is not for my sake, because I already know it's nothing. But for Bruce's sake, why? Because I want to tell, I want to communicate to him that the God that I worship, the God that I follow is the true God and all gods are no gods. See, if I partake in him, my God just becomes what? One of many gods. You see my point? See, this is what's going on here. So it's for the conscience, for the sake of the individual that I'm eating with. Because I want to live my life in such a way that I delineate my God from the rest of the world. That's the point. That I want to live my life in such a way that I delineate that God is the true God and everything else is false. Do you understand? See, here's the point. Here's what we've missed. Here's what we've lost. I have to admit to you, I've, I've lost it too sometimes. A consciousness that the way I live reflects on God. Do you hear what I'm saying? A consciousness that the way I live, especially the way I live with other unbelievers, reflects on the reality and the person of Jesus and the person of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, how real is God to people when they say, oh, he, he, he's the worst, you know, because here's the thing. We live in a society, that, whether you realize it or not, the United States has become a pluralistic society. Very pluralistic. And, and the point is, is not everybody worships God. Not the God that you worship. Nor should we have the expectation that they should because they don't have any understanding of who they is. So, in a way, we're becoming, I, I read one writer that says that what's happening is, is in our postmodern era, we're actually becoming post-Christian. See, when we look here, we're talking about a pre-Christian society. But isn't it interesting, we're becoming like the pre-Christian society again in the world? And that's what's happening. So, here's what he's saying. If I'm going to live my life, I need to live my life with a consciousness of how I'm communicating God to other people around me. And that's missing from our life. It's been missing from my life in several areas. So I can't sit up here and say, I've got it together, folks. We're all struggling in this area. All of us. Okay, let's go on now. Here, here's, here's the principle that he's trying to get us to understand. The principle of freedom. Here's what you and I need to understand. Here's what he's saying. Paul restates that they had freedom to eat. Look, you've got freedom to eat. I mean, he's laying down an inch thick steak. It's medium rare. I mean, it just looks good. It smells good. And then he says it's the temple of Aphrodite. It's not that God's saying, oh man, you just can't. He's saying, you've got freedom to eat it, but your freedom is limited by what? A concern for birds. Because enjoying that steak is only going to last for a moment. Bruce's eternity is going to be forever. Did you hear what I said? Enjoying the steak is for the moment. Some of you, it's longer because you take long eating it. Or some of you, it's fast because you whoop it down. The fact of the matter, it's only going to be for a moment. It'll be gone, 30 minutes at the most. But Bruce's eternity is forever. 
And it comes down to what are you more concerned about, food in your belly or people's lives? That's the issue. Because, so, again, here's what can happen is, is that you could say, well, man, that just sounds so oppressive to me. That sounds so oppressive to me that I've got to limit what I do because of somebody else. Look, if you're thinking that way, you've got a wrong thought process. That reveals something about your life. And what it reveals about your life is that you are selfish. Because there's more to your life than you. And God didn't create you, you just for you. He created us to be relational beings in interaction with each other. And he created us so that we would be there for other people. But if all you're concerned about is you, what happens? Look, for instance, you know what? How many of you, you know, when you look at the economic crisis we're in right now, and everybody's blaming everybody. Have you noticed that? It's the bank's fault. It's this fault. It's that fault. It's the guy who got the mortgage. You got this. Can I be honest with you? It's everybody's fault. Why? Because when you look at that situation, every one of them, from the banker down to the broker, down to this, to the guy who got, everybody was thinking about who? Themselves. And greed took over. Everybody. Look at the auto industry. The executives, the union, everybody, everybody's motivated by one thing. Keeping what I can get. Nobody was thinking about who? Anybody else. And we're seeing the ramifications of that. We're, I mean, you guys are affected by it. You say, well, I'm not a directly affected. Yeah, you are. I mean, when wife's, wife's markets has to say they're going to freeze their prices until April, to keep customers coming in. Why? That's because prices are keep going up for food. And they want to keep their customers coming in to them. It's affecting us. It's affecting us. It's affecting people in our area. You know, when, when, the, when a, a major employer in our area lays off more than half of their people because nobody's buying wood, that affects our community. You know, the whole problem is, is because people, we, we live in a society that is so focused on what? Me, what I can get for me, and it doesn't really matter about anybody else. Now, you carry that kind of thinking over into marriages, no wonder we're self-destructing in our marriages. You carry that kind of thinking over in the way we're raising our children, no wonder we have the problems that we're having. See, Paul's trying to tell the church, he's not trying to address society here, he's addressing the church, and he says, you've got freedom, but here's the principle he's restating here. The principle he's restating is, is that freedom is limited. So then he goes on, look what he says in verse 30. He is not condemned by his actions. See, he had a clean conscience then about the way he was living because he had freedom, but he limited his freedom for who? Other people. And because he limited his freedom for other people, he didn't have to worry about being condemned. See, here's the thing. With the Apostle Paul, you probably never heard anybody say that he was selfish. I'm sure that he, I mean, everybody has struggles with it. Even he struggles with it, pride and self and everything. But if he consistently lived his life putting others before himself, do you think people were saying, well, that guy's just in it for himself? Do you think people said that about him? No. If they did, they were just saying it viciously for no reason. See, the question is, when you look, if, I gotta look at myself. I'll talk about myself. I gotta look, I gotta, when, when I get up in the morning and I say, Lord, it's another day, I want to serve you. I've got to even guard my heart. Because you know what? The Bible says that our hearts are so deceitfully wicked, we don't even understand it. We can't even understand our own motives 
I got to get up before the Lord and say, Lord, I want to serve you. But Lord, I'm not even sure if my motivation to serve you is right. Because it may be to feed my own pride. Or is it because I'm concerned for other people? See, we've got to get to that point where we start saying, God, help me to be there for other people, not for myself. And we all struggle with it. Every one of us struggles with it. You know? Let me give you an example. We just had Christmas. How many of you have traditions in your home for Christmas? Things that happen. Every year, same stuff happens. You maybe open a gift at a certain time. We open a gift at a certain time in our house. And we do one on Christmas Eve. And, you know, we have certain things. You know, we have brunch instead of breakfast and lunch, you know. And how many of you have, you know, and one big tradition with me is a cheese ball. you got to have a cheese ball. You know, a certain cheese ball, you know. And, you know, just, just, just things like that. How many of you have traditions in your home where you, every year, Christmas, you have the same things happen? Okay. Now, have you ever noticed that when that Christmas comes, that for some reason, one of the traditions gets forgotten, somebody gets bent out of shape? Ever noticed that? How many of you have seen somebody get bent out of shape because the tradition, year after year, one of them got kind of forgotten or something, and the next day you were like, well, why didn't we do that? How many of you, let's be honest, how many of you have seen people get bent out of shape at Christmas about tradition? Okay. People are being honest. We've got the honest side over here, okay? All right. All right. Now, here's, here's my point. Why are they getting bent out of shape? It was their self. Bruce said it hurt their feelings. It was their self. They were putting what they wanted, because maybe the reason why you didn't do it is because Grandma Bertha, who never comes, showed up, and our whole time was devoted to her, and so we forgot that tradition. But you're sitting there seething. It's like, why did Bertha come in here and mess up my time? Isn't that right? And we forgot that tradition. What's the focus there? Self. Self. So guess what the rest of the family's thinking is? You're throwing your temper tantrum. What are they thinking about you because you're upset that that tradition didn't happen? In fact, they may even say it. You're what? Selfish. See, if you live your life with others in mind, you're not going to be condemned. That's what Paul's saying there. He was not condemned by his actions. Now here, Paul goes then one step further as far as the limits of why we do what we're doing. It's not just for the sake of others, but it's for God. Look with me at verse 31. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks, or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Okay, here, here's the issue that I know has been forgotten. You say, how do I know it's been forgotten? Because it's really easy for me to forget it in my life. Here's what he says. Here's the purpose of our actions. We are to do all things for the glory of God. That's been forgotten. Everything about us should be, in our life as Christians, should be so that somebody gets the glory. Who's that? God. But you know what? Let's be honest. It isn't. Do you remember I told you how our hearts are so deceitfully wicked? You could be serving out your heart, but the reason why you're serving, serving in the church is so that you get the glory. Oh, isn't he so wonderful? Isn't he so great? Was it for God? See, we got to be governed by, you know what, I am so thankful for a dad who told me 
As long as I lived in his house, I had to be home by 11 o'clock. There's no reason to be out home after 11. All you do is get in trouble. Isn't that the point? No, you had to listen to it. had to be home by 11. And, I, and if I was a minute late, I mean, I, I paid for it. I had a disciplinary. My dad was a drill sergeant at one time. My dad was a disciplinarian. And, but I am so thankful that I had a dad because why? Because I lived my life as a teenager with a line that I couldn't cross. How many of you lived like that as a teenager? You had a line with your family you couldn't cross. And aren't you glad that you had that line? How many of you are glad you had that line? You look back now and you think, praise the Lord, I had that line. Here's what I'm, here's what Paul's doing. He's telling us that with God and how we live our lives, Yes, you have freedom, but there's a line. It's God. And I'll be honest with you, we're living like there is no line. But there has to be a line. There has to be a line that says, God, I'm going to answer to God. Some of you can remember a time when the community was closer that if you messed up, the neighbor would call your mom or dad and say, I just saw your boy doing this. And then you came home and they said, what were you doing? And you thought, boy, they must be God or something. They figured out how they figured that out. Well, the neighbor told them. Well, maybe you can remember when the neighbor spanked you. you can't do that anymore. You go to jail. But do, how many remember times like that? You know, you understand? So there was a line there. There was a community line. There was a line there where you did not behave a certain way. And so it was just assumed. And it left. It's gone. But you know what? The church, we've got to recognize there is a line there. It's not just a line of concern for other people. It's a line that, man, am I living my life in such a way that God gets the glory? That everything I do, whether I eat, whether I drink, whatever I do, that's everything, isn't it? Glory is brought to God. That's what he's saying here. Glory is brought to God. We are to do all things for the glory of God. Now, how are we doing? Let's be honest. How are we doing? Not good. Not good at all, because if you ask our unsafe friends, they would probably say, well, he's just as selfish as I am. We're not doing good. Here's what he's saying. We are warned not to do anything that might offend others. We're not just have that line, but you and I are warned not to do anything that might offend someone else. Now, here's the problem. Our culture says, who cares if it offends somebody else? And so we brought into the cultural mind thinking. But when it comes to the church, when it comes to people that you're trying to reach for Jesus, forget what the culture says. Live your life in such a way that you're not going to offend somebody else by your actions. We've got to put other people first in our minds. And if you're thinking again, oh, that's just bondage. Again, there's a problem with your thought process. You're selfish. That's reality. Let's go on. A couple more points here. Here's what Paul says. Getting back to himself. Paul gave up his freedom so that others would come to Christ. Here, let me ask you a question. How many of you here have a family member that does not know Jesus? Okay. All right. 
How many of you here have a friend that does not know Jesus? Okay. How many of you have a neighbor that does not know Jesus? Every one of us here. Okay, so every one of us here needs to listen to this. You've got to ask yourself this question. I can't answer this question for you. You've got to ask yourself this question. This is a question you've got to ask in your time with God. And I'm not talking about just taking five minutes in the morning. This is something you've got to think about. When you're alone, you talk to God, you've got to ask yourself this question. You've got to ask yourself this question. Am I doing something that is offending them and hindering them from coming to Jesus? It's an introspection question. Now, you might be saying, well, I'm not doing anything. No, no, you don't understand. You maybe aren't doing anything, but you still need to go through the exercise. Because, remember what I said, your heart is deceitfully wicked, and it will deceive you. And you may think that you're not doing anything, but but you just happen to overlook something, and it may be what's hindering. Here's what I want you to see. You need to go and talk with God and say, God, is there anything in my life that's a hindrance? Is there anything that's a hindrance? Show me what it is. Show me what it is. It may be an attitude. What do you mean an attitude? Well, just the fact of the way you carry yourself with it may be enough to offend it. It may be, you know, whatever. It may have been something you did ten years ago that you never said, please forgive me for. And they're still carrying the hurt from it. And you just moved on. You went on and said, oh, it's no problem. Here's, here's what I'm trying to say to you. Is there something in your life that's a hindrance? Consider it. Think about it. Let's go on. Final thing then. Here's what he's telling us. We're called to follow Paul's example. In closing out this whole discussion of freedom with this, here's the point he's trying to say to us. The apostle saying to us, Follow my example. Here's what his example. Everything he did was for whose glory? God's glory. Everything he did was for the sake of others. Wow. Just hold on a minute. Think about that. If that were the, you know, you've heard the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I think this is the real golden rule. One and two. Do everything for his glory. Number two, do it for the benefit of others. What would our lives be like if we lived that way? would be radical, wouldn't it? would be radical. In fact, if you think about it, that's why Jesus said, By this shall they know that you are my disciples, by your what? Love for one another. Okay, next week we're going to talk about women in ministry. Let's pray.